Welcome to Citroen Cooperman's Taxes in 10 podcast. I would now like to introduce our tax practice leader, Joe Bublé. Good day, everyone, and welcome to Citroen Cooperman's Taxes in 10 podcast. My name is Joe Bublé. I'm the firm's tax practice leader, as well as a tax partner in the New York City office. Today, we're going to be talking about the research and development credit, the so-called R&D credit. And to do that, we have Deborah Tierney, who's the tax manager in our White Plains office, joining us. Deborah, welcome. Thank you. Appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast. So Deborah, I thought what we would do is go through it sequentially mm-hmm. and yep. build. And mm-hmm. so why don't we just talk about what is the R&D credit in general to start with? The R&D credit was created in 1981 under the Economic Recovery Tax Act in order to keep tech advances in tech companies in the U.S. instead of going overseas. The credit has evolved over a few decades and was made permanent with the PATH Act of 2015. The R&D credit is a 20% federal credit or a 14% alternative simplified credit, also known as the ASC, under IRC Section 41. Currently, the alternative simplified credit accounts for about two-thirds of all R&D tax credit claims. Okay, so what type of entities can get the R&D credit? The types of entities that can take advantage of the credit are non-publicly traded C-corporations, partnerships, LLCs, sole proprietorships, and S-corporations. Okay, so pretty much of our entire client base. And what type of industries uh, particularly benefit from the credit? There are many types of industries that can benefit from the credit. Some of the most prevalent are manufacturing and distribution, software development like apps, pharmaceuticals, engineering, even apparel or clothing, you would be hard pressed to find an industry that could not benefit from this credit. So Deborah, how does this credit help the taxpayers and how does it work? What's so great about this credit is that it's a dollar for dollar reduction in tax, subject to limitation, of course. Therefore, if your client had a $100,000 tax liability and a $90,000 R&D credit, they just saved $90,000 in tax. What's also great about R&D credit is that there's a one-year carryback period, but a 20-year carry-forward period. You can even go back and amend up to three years of recently filed returns to take the credit. You realize that you may have left some money on the table. Plus, over 35 states offer similar incentives. So how does somebody go about applying for the credit? Great question. The first thing we need to do is determine if the taxpayer qualifies for the credit with a four-part test. The parts are as follows. One, does the R&D have a permitted purpose? This means is the intention of the R&D to create new or improved component, function, performance, reliability, or quality? If yes, then we move on to the next question. The second test, is there a process of experimentation? R&D is like a science experiment. Did you evaluate, develop, test, run experiments, review the results, or utilize trial and error? If so, it sounds like you performed the experimentation process. The third test is there needs to be an underlying uncertainty. So what does this mean? This means that you cannot research something you already know how to do. There needs to be a method of development improvement. For example, one may work backwards. You know what you want, but have to figure out how to get there. And the last test would be, is this technological in nature? You need to use some principle of science such as physical, biological, computer, and or engineering. Okay, good. So now taxpayer goes through that, determines that they pass the four-part test. Now what do they do? 
Next, we would take a look at the various details of the business to determine where there could be qualified research expenses or QREs. QREs could be answers to any of the following questions. Who are the core R&D personnel? What are their job titles and descriptions? You would also include in these personnel any employees that be one level above or below that particular employee, such as a supervisor or support staff. Then another question would be, were there independent contractors used for R&D purposes? If so, they must be on US soil and the taxpayer must maintain the rights and risks of their activities and R&D. Another question would be, what do all of the employees and contractors do for R&D, such as testing, creating formulas, and or conducting experiments? Did you review company data, interview key people about their activities? And also, did you perform analysis based on these findings? Once these expenses are identified, you'll look for the actual expenses. These could be wages of the R&D personnel, including a proportion of wages for the supervisor or support staff, 65% of independent contractor payments, supplies, including prototype materials and prototype development, development of new or improved concepts, including designing concepts, testing of any type for these developments, and concept to just production, illustration, and execution. One key thing to note is that even if an R&D project is unsuccessful, you can still claim the R&D credit. This emphasizes that uncertainty test from the beginning. All right, so when you're going through the list of expenses, are there any expenses that don't qualify as qualified research expenses? Yes, there are several expenses that do, are not qualified. It's important to note the following. There can only be work done in the United States. There are no non-US expenses qualified for the credit. R&D must go for something new. It cannot be an adaptation. R&D cannot be a duplication of something the taxpayer has already developed. Arts or humanities expenses are not qualified in any way. Routine data collection or quality assurance testing is also not qualified. Any type of work that focuses on efficiencies, management, or advertising, also debugging flaws are not allowed. And then funded research cannot utilize the credit for any expenses that are required to be capitalized. All right, so we've gone through the list of expenses. We've seen what qualifies, what doesn't qualifies. Now we have that basket of qualified research expenses. Now, how do we go about calculating the credit? Well, there are two ways to calculate the credit. The first way is to use the regular credit under IRC section 41A1. You will need the QREs that we spoke about earlier an average annual gross receipts number, fixed base percentage, and the base amount. All of these are fairly complex and are different for every taxpayer. It's important to consult an expert to make sure you're getting the most correct outcome. The second way would be to use the alternative simplified credit under IRC section 41C5. You will need the QREs and only the base amount. Companies that have larger gross receipts or several subsidiaries may benefit from this calculation over the regular credit. One drawback is that a new company would have trouble creating their fixed base percentage. In addition to these two methods, the taxpayer is also allowed to utilize the Section 280C election. This election allows the taxpayers to take 65% of the R&D credit calculated. 
Normally, the taxpayer would need to reduce their deductions by the gross credit, thereby increasing the taxable income. By utilizing the 280C election, taxpayer does not need to reduce their deductions, but still gets the partial R&D credit. So once you've calculated the R&D credit, can you only use it to offset income taxes or is there something else it could offset? No, you can actually use the R&D credits to offset payroll taxes. One of the ways that they can do this are by, with qualified startup businesses can claim $250,000 or less the credit against social security and Medicare portion of their payroll taxes. Also a qualified startup business is a company that has $5 million or less in gross receipts and hasn't had any gross receipts for any of the preceding five years. The taxpayer must also be a corporation or a partnership. Okay, great, thanks. Now, you know, we've talked about the benefits of the R&D credit. Do you think of any drawbacks to the credit? Um, there aren't many drawbacks, but before a taxpayer decides if they wanna go through the entire process, they should consider the following. The gathering of the QREs or the qualified research expenses can be time consuming and the taxpayer may need to implement new processes in order to track them. Plus the documentation of expenses or activities might be too difficult or extensive. The documentation is needed to substantiate every number, employee, supply, design, basically anything and everything that create, created the credit. The taxpayer might not have enough time to track all these activities. Or the taxpayer may have an NOL that they are still working on and won't need the R&D credit anytime soon. Okay, great. Well, I appreciate it. That was great. Uh, well, Deborah, I appreciate you coming on to the uh, podcast today and uh, talking about the R&D credit. And to the audience, I would ask, please be on the lookout for further Taxes and TED podcasts and other relevant tax topics. And I hope everyone out there is staying safe and carrying on. Good day.